Good morning. Glad that you're here today. For you, those of you that don't know me, my name is, uh, is Jason Bennett, and uh, I'm the, the oldest of three brothers. I was raised in the Atlanta area, had a, a great home life, a great family. There we are. That's a recent photo. As you can tell by the leisure suits and the hairstyles and, and whatnot. That's about 1982, but uh, that was a, a photo that we took. We had been on a camping trip, and we left the camping trip, go home to get ready to take a church portrait. That's what that picture is there. But I grew up in the Atlanta area, had a great home life, had really great parents. They were very involved in our upbringing. They were at every event that we had, and we had a bunch of them, you can imagine, uh, those of you that have, have children, you know, they get involved in a lot of stuff. And our parents were very supportive, uh, tried to attend just about everything that, uh, that we, we ever did. But they were always involved uh, with, our, with our families. And as I said, I'm the oldest of three brothers. There's a shot of us. Uh, sun's out, gun's out, uh, you know. Uh, that picture is also from the 80s. That is uh, one day when we hiked up to the top of, of Kennesaw Mountain, if you know where that is. Uh, outside, um, outside the Atlanta area. My, uh, my brother Micah and I, that's my middle brother, he and I, we loved to sing. And we were drawn to singing and we were drawn to, to, to musical groups. And, and as kids, we started to sing together and we formed some groups that were absolutely terrible. And, uh, but we continued to do this till we got at least somewhat where we were we were okay with it and so uh you know we we got to where we were singing pretty good and we put a, a group together and some of you have seen some of of that group and then we you know, we went off to college and we formed another group we formed a group called uh, called crosswalk and uh you know we performed recently and, and some of you were were here to uh to experience that but uh micah he was, uh, I'll go ahead and, and say that he's the more talented of us, uh, uh, of the vocalists. I think he had the talent, just had this beautiful songbird voice, whereas my gifts more went to, to preaching. While I, can, while I can sing a little bit, I think, he could, he could sing, if you know what I'm saying. I can sing, but he could, he could sing. Am I right? Yeah, he could sing. Well, then, uh, you know, we go to college, and I meet this guy who I had known of as a kid, who I had heard sing. I had grown up listening to, and he'd had an influence in my life, and his name is, is George G., who happens to be sitting right here on the front row. And George, as many of you well know, is a very gifted singer as well, worship leader, all of these things. And when I went to college in, in North Alabama, here was this guy that I had grown up listening to, and he's, he's, he's here. And so I just approached him and said, are, are, you, are, you, are, you George, are you like the George G? And he said, yeah, Daddy. <laughs> so you're like the singer George G. Yes, yeah, I'm, I'm the singer George G. And I said, man, we, we're putting together a group. Would you, would you be interested in singing with us? And, and for some reason, he must not have had anything else better to do. He joined with us, and we put this group together, and we recorded an album, and we went, traveled all over the place, and we... Just had a great time 
uh, had, a, had a great time doing this. Well, George had been with, with several groups before. He'd been with a group called uh, Acapella Vocal Band. Uh, he'd also been with a group uh, known as Straight Company that is based out of Louisville, Kentucky. And he was still doing some things with, uh, with Straight Company. And we were sort of nearing the end of that time together as, as Crosswalk. You know, I was about to get married, and some of us were finishing school, and some of us were getting ready to, to move on. And it was during that time that George uh, grabbed the talented singers from Crosswalk, not me, but he grabbed, he grabbed two others. He grabbed two other of our, of our singers, and he, he brought them into Straight Company. Uh, and they went and they recorded this beautiful album called uh, Courtesy of God. Uh, and it's just this, this absolutely, absolutely beautiful, beautiful thing. And so, you know, we're kind of going on with, uh, with our lives and things are, are, are just good. Now then, my younger brother, Matt, he was having some issues uh, at, at home. He was uh, dealing with some stuff. Uh, he had got into where he was using some drugs a little bit, just not making good choices. And Micah decided that he was going to basically infiltrate Matt's world. He was going to go and, and for all intents and purposes, go and, and befriend him. And he entered this, this world that Matt was living, with, living in with the, the hopes of, of saving him, of, of pulling him out of that, influencing him and, and, and bringing him back out of that. And so he moved Matt up to Louisville with him. And they, they lived together and they got jobs and, you know, things were, were, were going okay then. Um, Matt began uh, attending church regularly again and, uh, you know, things were, were, uh, were going well. And then uh, one weekend in February, in fact, it was the last, uh, the, toward the end of the month, the last few days of, of February uh, in 2002, they had to come back home to Atlanta for something. Uh, there was uh, something that they needed to take care of. I don't remember exactly what it was right now. But they came back to Atlanta. And then Matt started to, to work on Micah just a, a little bit. And he convinced Micah to go into Atlanta together. And they bought $200 of, of heroin. And they, they, they snorted this heroin, uh, back at my, my, my parents' house. Uh, they snorted it, they laid down, and, and, and they went to sleep. Mom gets up, goes to work, dad gets up, and uh, by, by this point, he notices that they're, you know, they're making some strange sounds as they're, as they're, they're sleeping, and my dad went over to, to Micah and, if I remember correctly, put his hand on his chest. Uh, said his body felt a little cool, but he was still kind of making this, this noise and he realized something was wrong. And so he pulled him onto the floor and began to administer CPR to him and rolled him over to his side. And it was in that moment that this, this mixture of, of blood and heroin poured out of his mouth staining my parents' white carpet. 911 was called. They came in, turned the house over, getting my brothers uh, to the hospital. They get them both to the hospital because both of them have overdosed on, on heroin. 
Uh, I got to the hospital. I was in Alabama at the time. I got there uh, in, in record time, and, and for some reason, uh, you know, I, I don't know if I couldn't put it together or whatnot, but I get to the hospital, and it just seems like there's hundreds of, of people there, and, uh, you know, I, I go in, and there's this, this, this room where my mom and my dad are, and it seems like maybe there's a couple other people, and uh, they tell me what has happened. They say they have both overdosed on, on heroin, and they said that, that Matt survived, but Micah didn't. And I'll never forget my dad's words in that moment. As he said, it cost your brother his life. You know, that's what that stuff does. There's a cost that must be paid. There's a price that must be paid. And let me just pause here and say, if you're using that kind of stuff or anything else for that matter, you might not have to pay right now. But there is going to come a time where you might have to pay and you might have to pay with your life. And I've seen that so many times. People that think they don't have to, think it's not going to, to cost them something, and yet it, it does. And so on February 28, 2002, my brother, who had always attended church, was actively involved in music ministry, made a foolish choice, and lost his life. Matt was 50-50. We did not know what was, was going to take place. We didn't know if he would survive or not, and I remember the doctors telling us, we don't know if he is going to live. If he gets through tonight, he's going to be okay and, and I remember him saying, he has to want to survive. Well, he got through the night. And he started making a, a, a turn for the better. And we got to go in and talk to him. And, and he kept asking us, how's Micah? And what do you say in that moment? And all we could say is, Micah wants you to be okay. That was all we knew to say. Micah, Micah wants you to be okay. And by a series of just unfortunate events, Matt found out because a nurse said something in an unguarded moment. And it was right as we had to leave. Visiting hours were, for the ICU were closed, and we wouldn't, we, they wouldn't let us back in for three hours. So he had to sit there with that just crushing down on him. And you can imagine the guilt that came with that. He had a good bit of uh, a good bit of uh, good bit of survivor's guilt. But Matt got out and he moved in with my wife and I, and he started doing better. Gave his life back to Jesus. Really started doing well. And it was then that I, I started getting asked to if I would speak on this. And I got asked if I would bring my brother and we would tell our story. And so we went to this large youth conference. And we spoke three times that day, and there was not any space left in the room as we were standing there, and we were telling that story. And I remember standing behind the, 
the, the speaker stand, and this is literally all the space. People were back behind us and, and out the doors, and we couldn't understand what was, uh, what was going on. But it was in that moment that God birthed something out of our lives, out of this, out of this pain, out of this tragedy. He birthed this, this ministry called Brothers Three Ministries. And it allowed us to go several places and speak to, to thousands of people over, over a few years' time. And we would go and we would tell the story, just like I'm telling you the story now, except Matt would be the one telling that part of the story. And then I would get up and I would, would talk about Jesus. And we saw a lot of lives changed. The stories that we heard of, of brokenness would absolutely move you to tears. I remember one day after being on the stage at a, another very large conference, a woman came and, and put her hand on my shoulder, and, and I turned around, and the mascara was just, just running, and she had been just bawling her eyes out. And she said, uh, she says, I've struggled with, with a heroin addiction for 25 years. We went another place one time, and a, a, a teenager came to us, and he says, my dad and I, my dad and I, use heroin every single day and my mom has no idea and we don't know how to stop we heard stories of, of loss and heartbreak of people losing their jobs and losing their homes and people again experiencing what we had experienced people losing their their lives you know we weren't equipped for that we didn't know really how to deal with it all we knew is to, to just show them Love and, and grace and mercy. There were so many of those, those stories like that that, uh, that we heard. Well, life, uh, life moved on. And uh, Matt, uh, Matt got married. Started doing real well. Got a job as a, uh, as a prison guard. And that went well. And he worked his way up, worked his way up. And uh, so he was promoted to captain, which meant that when he was on the compound, he was number four in charge at the prison where he worked. I mean, he had a lot of responsibility. Uh, responsibility over the charge of 1,500 inmates and, and staff. Uh, violent, violent men at this prison. But this is, this is what he did. But in April of 2012, he, he hit a snag and some things happened and he ended up losing his job and he gets, his life just kind of fell apart. And along with, with losing his job, he lost his marriage. And life was just going really bad for him. And Bethany and I convinced him, why don't you just move in with us for just, just a month. Move in with us to Thomasville and we'll, we'll, we'll get a plan figured out. And then you know, we'll get you back down to Fort Myers because that's where he was living at the time. He wanted to be back with his girls. and So let's, just, let's get a plan together. And so he agreed to, he agreed to come. And he came here. And uh, he was kind of reserved. But then he attended a, uh, an impact trip with us. And it was there that maybe for the first time in his life, he truly felt the touch of Jesus. And maybe for the first time, it truly changed him. And he came back here, and it was like he was a different person. He got involved in the life of, of our church he completely took over the buildings and grounds and there was not a grass, a blade of grass to be found anywhere that was not mowed. 
And he made connections here, and he made deep, lasting relationships, and he got back on his feet, and you could see him. And I think, I think for, the, for the first time in his life, you could really see, uh, as David talks about, the joy of his salvation. You could hear it in his words. Well, a month turned into six. And at the end of six months, he was ready to go. He was ready to be with his girls. He felt like uh, uh, life was, was good. But before he went, he made a confession that was gut-wrenching and, and heartbreaking and, and, and incredible all at the same time. And he posted it on Facebook for the world to see. But, you know, nobody goes on Facebook. This is his, these are his words. He said, if the following embarrasses you or offends you, I apologize in advance. But those of you who truly know me and are close with my family already know the truth. And some will say that I'm crazy for publicly putting this out there, but I feel that I need to stand at the highest mountain and take responsibility for my actions because God has steered the wheel for me. So here goes. He says, yes, I have had... Two affairs during my marriage. And yes, I was not the family man that I claimed and, and truly meant to be. And yes, I betrayed the trust of a woman who stood by my side and dedicated her life to our family, sacrificing her wants and needs for us. And yes, I have taken two beautiful little girls. Two beautiful little girls and I've flipped their world upside down, and I've crushed our dreams for them. I've manipulated a lot of people in my life, like their feelings didn't matter. And that's not the person I was raised to be. I've let down, and I've disappointed most everybody in my life. And I'm sorry. I say all this to say that God has changed something in me. He's changed something in my heart, and I don't want to hide from my past. I don't want to hide from my selfish wants and desires anymore. I've given Him the wheel and I am letting Him lead because my way because my way has never been the right way. I've done wrong to people most of my life, but I intend to live the rest of my life doing what's right with God at the forefront. Yes, I'm shameless and I'm laying my skeletons and demons out of the closet and I'll probably face persecution for this. But it's okay because I will not live like I've lived in the past anymore. I couldn't believe he put something like that out there. There's a picture of him. To admit something and pull no punches. Very few people have the guts to do something like that. I'll tell you that I don't. But he did. And it was when he said that, when God took control of his life, it was like it, it, it freed him to be used by God. And that's something about confession that it does, that it frees us to be used by God. So he got back on his feet and 
He moved back to, to Fort Myers. I, I did not want him to go. I didn't think he was quite ready yet, but he, he, he did. He moved, he moved back there, and he got a job, and uh, he, was, he was doing things he was doing things the right way, and his, his faith was, was sustaining him. His faith was sustaining him, and, 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 and Satan knew it. And Satan, like he always does, he, he attacks. Matt was, was doing good, but he fell victim to Satan's wicked attack. He had the world against him. There were bill collectors and creditors he owed hundreds and hundreds of dollars in, in child support, and the, the stress that he was under was intense. Stress like, like most of us have never endured in our life. And he hit a point one night where he became absolutely hopeless. And so in that moment of, of hopelessness, in that moment of, of, of weakness, he turned to something from his past that he knew would provide him some relief. And he went and he bought $40 worth of heroin. And he snorted it. And he laid down. And at 2.22 p.m. on November 21st, 2012, Matt joined Micah in death. Ten years apart from one another. He couldn't believe it. When I when I when I got the call from the uh, the detective, and he told me, I just I I couldn't believe it. I'd been calling all day. Couldn't get up with him. Calling, calling, calling. I called his roommate. He was sending my calls straight to voicemail. And the detective happened to be there when I called. And so the roommate, I guess, told the detective this is his brother. So I, I guess instead of trying to sort out all who the next of kin were, they just they called me. And he told me, he said, we, uh, he said your brother's deceased. Corners just pronounced him. And we couldn't believe it. Still don't believe it. You know, for the most part, I don't believe that people struggle with drugs and alcohol and addictions. I don't believe they struggle with things like that because they like it. I don't believe they struggle with those things because they enjoy it. Now then, there might be some enjoyment of it, but I don't think anyone wakes up and says, my goal today is to be an addict. My goal is to ingest or take or do or watch something that is going to entrap me and ensnare me for a long time to come. I don't think anybody wakes up thinking like that. I do, however, think that people turn to those kinds of things 
and trust in it because of a sense of hopelessness. Because of a sense of brokenness and, and loneliness. So we ask, who's to blame? And we could all point fingers. We could ask, who's to blame? And it's always in a time like this, it's always in a time like this where people want to blame God. You ever notice that? People want to blame God for, for things like this. And you know what? That is exactly what Satan wants us to do. Satan wants us to blame God because you know what that does? That takes the heat off of Satan. Make no mistake about it. This is, this is not the work of God who is the author of life. This is the work of Satan and evil. There were a, a, a lot of times where Matt and I, would, we'd sit up and talk, and we'd talk about Scripture, and we'd talk about just all kinds of things. And there was one that kinda, we kind of anchored down to that, that became our favorite. And it's found in Ephesians 6, verse 12. And the version we really liked was the, the version of, uh, of the message. And this sort of became kind of our, our, our theme verse, kind of our, our go-to thing, that in a bad moment we'd look at this, this Scripture and we'd read it and it'd kind of charges up again and, and this is what it says I want you to, to pay attention to this especially those of you that are young please pay attention to what I'm going to say he writes and he says this and I've added the word life there because this, that's what he's saying that's an understood this life this life is no afternoon athletic contest that we'll walk away from and forget about in a couple of hours you know what he's saying right there? He's saying life is not a game. Life is serious. Life has serious consequences and there are serious decisions that have to be made. Okay? And so what he is saying is, look, this is not a game. This isn't some contest that in a little bit of time you're going to forget about. This is not a game. This is for keeps. This life is a life or death fight to the finish against the devil and all his angels. And Satan's goal is to drag you, me, and everybody else into hell with him. Life is not a game. Those of you that are playing like a game, it is not a game. Wake up. I know, and that sounds hard, but let me say it again. Wake up! Because life is not a game. We are actively engaged. Whether we want to admit it or not, we are actively engaged in spiritual warfare 100% of the time. Whether we want to admit it or not. Spiritual warfare is going on around us all the time. And this is not a game. Yet sometimes people make choices like it is a game. 
Like it's going to just be okay if I do this. And 99 times it might be okay, but there's no guarantee that the 100th or the second, it's not going to be okay. Because life is not a game. This life is, is for keeps. And it's a life or death fight to the finish against the devil and all his angels. You see, because of sin, we live in a, we live in a broken world. We live in a world that is broken and it is subject to something that was never a part of God's plan for his children. And that's death. Death was never a part of the plan of God. God's plan was Eden. God's plan was perfection. God's plan was a dwelling with His people in Eden. But sin came in and, 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 and pulled that away. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, in this way, death spread to all people because all sin. Every single one of us are subject to death. I mean, it's, 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 going, it's going to happen. There are so many People that, that, that live in the grips of hopelessness. You know who they are. You see them. You interact with them. You work with them. You live next to them. You may even live with them. You might be related to them. We all know people who are caught in the clutches of despair. Who feel like they don't matter. Who feel like they have no worth. And a lot of times in those moments, they end up turning to things that are going to lead to, to death and destruction and pain and hurt. Either hurting themselves or hurting others. There are so many people that are caught in this, and that's why it is our job to be reconcilers, to be ministers of reconciliation, to be ambassadors to be people that proclaim the gospel, the good news of, of Jesus Christ. Because the truth is that even though there are people that are trapped in despair, there is something that is so much better out there. You want to see it? You want to see it? Because it's there. I want you to watch this. Romans 3. All have sinned, and all fall short of the glory of God. That is not good news. But what that is, is a factual statement. That is a statement of fact. All have sinned. Every single one of us. All have sinned, and all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. How do we know that? Because just as sin entered the world through one man... And brought death with it. Sin and death spread to every single one of us. We all have sinned. And we've all fallen short of the glory of God. That would be the worst verse in the Bible if Paul had stopped writing right there. 
Can, I mean, just let the, let the weight of that verse weigh down on you just a minute. All have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. What, that means we've missed the mark. That means there is no hope for us if Paul stops writing right there. That means separation from God for all eternity. But he continued. He says, but they are now justified freely by His grace as a gift through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Now then, let's break this down even further because there is some good news that is coming and it's wrapped up right in the heart of this verse. You see the phrase justified freely? That word, you do word study, you trace it all the way back, you'll find a Greek word. That Greek word is doreon. And it means without cause. It means without a, a reason. Okay, so what he's saying is they are now justified for no reason. It's the same word you see in John 15, 25 when John told, uh, Jesus told the disciples they hated me without reason. All right, now stay with me because this is where the good news comes in. All right, we all agree that we should die and deserve to go to hell. Yes or no? If you're with me, say, oh yeah, or amen, or something. Yes. All of us, that should be our destination. None of us deserve to go to heaven. At the same time, Jesus went to death and what did Pilate say? There's no reason. I find no fault in him, yet he died anyway. Jesus lived a sinless life and died. Jesus went to the cross without cause. He went to the cross for you and for me who play all these silly games and sin and fall short of the glory of God. He went to the cross and died without a reason. An innocent man went to death in our place. You see it? Just as, and here it is right here, don't miss it. Just as Jesus went to the cross without a cause, we are forgiven and given the hope of heaven and salvation and resurrection without cause. There is no reason for us to experience that, yet we do. That's the good news of Jesus. That's grace that, that nobody can understand. He didn't wait for us to get it right. Paul wrote that while we're still sinners, while we're still screwing up, while we're still playing this game, while we're still mocking God, Jesus still died for us. Yeah, praise God. While we were still sinners, Christ came and, 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 and Christ, Christ died for us. That is why, that is why I have told this story countless times. Hey, so, so hopefully nobody else will have to experience what what our family has experienced. But truth be told, we live in a broken world and I know that others are. But maybe 
if it helps just one person avoid that fate, okay. But I hope and pray it affects many, many more. But the other, the other, is because there are so many people that just need a touch of Christ in their life. And there are so many people that are unwilling to show that to them. Unwilling to speak a kind word or give a cup of cold water or $5 or whatever it might be in the name of Jesus to somebody. But Jesus did all that for us. And there was no reason for Him to have to do that save that he loves us he justifies us without cause and so you know what Romans 8 says now there is no condemnation no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus you hear it there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You see, it's because of this, it's because of that news that I believe that I will see my brothers again. Now then, now then, and I've had people say this to me before. That's why I'm fixing to say what I'm about to say. I've had people say, yeah, okay, right. But you know what? They sinned. They sinned, and that sin led to their death. You know what? I'm not going to argue that point. But they'll continue, and they'll say, they sinned, and they died with sin in their life, so therefore they, they cannot go to heaven because they have this, this unconfessed sin. Now, I'm going to argue that part, and I do argue that part, because every single one of us is going to die with some unconfessed sin in our life. More than likely. More than likely, every single one of us is going to die with some sin that we forgot about, didn't think was a sin, forgot to confess, whatever. How many times have I sinned against somebody and didn't know it? My Lord. What matters at death is not perfection. What matters at death is whose hand we're holding on to. I heard Patrick Mead say that a few years ago. And man, that makes so much sense. What matters at death is not did I live right enough. It's am I holding on to Jesus? Am I at the end of my rope? Clinging to Jesus Christ. That is what is going to matter on Judgment Day. That is what's going to matter when we, when we die. So this is how we hope. 1 Thessalonians 4 says, But we, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who have died so that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Now, now, we agree there's a lot of people that don't have hope in Jesus. And they need to have that hope in Jesus, okay? And it is our job. And when I say our, I don't mean just mine. I mean our job to share that message of Jesus with people. We don't want you to grieve as those who have no hope. 
For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have died. You see, this is the hope we have. Matt and Micah physically are not here. But they are freed from their earthly struggles. That means there is no more pain. That means there is no more sorrow. That means there's no more sickness. There's no more stress. There's no more hurt. There's no more struggle. There's no more pressure. There is no more temptation. There is no more death. Because they found resurrection life through Jesus. This is the hope that they, they had. I know that I, I, I talked to Matt less than 24 hours before he died. And I asked him, I said, how you doing? He said, life is beating me down. And I said, well, how's your faith? He said, he said, Jay, that's the only thing that's holding me together right now. He believed in Jesus. They believed in Jesus. So the question then becomes, have you found this hope? Have you found this hope or do you grieve like those who have no hope? If you haven't, then what I would say is this Life is not a game. It is not some contest that you'll walk away from and forget about in two or three hours. But this life is a life or death fight to the finish against Satan and all his demons. Choose Jesus. Let's share one more story and then I'll be done. We had to have three different memorials for Matt, just logistically. Some of you know you were there. Had one here. Had to have one down there in Fort Myers. Fort Myers is a long way from Atlanta where we're from, so it was really, uh, we, we couldn't ask those people to drive to Atlanta. So we said, we'll hold a memorial down there. Well, then, you know, in, in the time that he lived here, he affected a lot of people. People that he worked with before and the people that he got to know while he was here living with us. And so Fort Myers was too far away to ask people to drive to, and Atlanta was too far away to ask people to drive to, so we said, okay, we'll, we'll do one here. And so we did the one in Fort Myers, and two days later we did the one here. And then two days later we did another one in Atlanta, where we're from. Things settled back down, time went on, and uh, we got through that memorial. My mom was not yet retired yet, she went back to work, and she shared with me a story There was a lady who was there in the audience, and she had hit a, a point of no return in her life, or at least what she deemed to be a point of no return. And things weren't going well at home. And then the news of this hit her. 
And so things were really bad. She was really in despair. And she came to my mom after the memorial, and she said, I want, I want to tell you something. And she told her all of those things. She said, when I heard this news, my, my, my intention was to go to that memorial service and then to go home and take my life. I don't know if maybe she thought that would give her the courage that she needed to do it or what. She said, but it was while I was there that I heard that, that message about Jesus. And I heard about that grace. And I heard about being justified freely and that Christ died for me. And because of that, I'm still here. That has nothing to do with me. That's all about Jesus. But the power of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus Christ has the power to change lives. Yes, absolutely. Now then, think about this. Do we believe that? Do we believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ has the power to change lives? Then it is our job to share it with people. If we believe it, and we know people are, are, are dying and going to hell every day, then it is our job as the followers of Christ to take the message of Jesus into a lost and dying world. That's the mission of the church. That's not just my job. It is my job, but it's not mine alone. It is for every single person that has named the name of Jesus as Lord. That is our mission. Because we are the, the church of, of Jesus Christ. And so what I would say to you as a way of benediction is found in Romans 15. May the hope of God fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you need Jesus, don't turn away. If you need Jesus, I invite you to come running to Him. Don't live another second in hopelessness and despair. Come to Jesus. If we can help you in any way whatsoever, why don't you come while we stand and sing Just As I Am. Just.